0: Welcome to the Habits of an Impactful Fundraiser from We Are For Good Studios. This limited podcast series is designed to help you get clarity for your role within a nonprofit and help you build the habits that lead to long-term growth to find balance along the journey. So we are so delighted to have Brooke Ritchie Babbage on the podcast. And if you don't know her, you need to subscribe right Me now too. over at her podcast, the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast. But she is this amazing lawyer turned nonprofit founder, turned impact strategist and coach. We've kind of like swarmed her for all of these months and we're finally getting to hang <laughs> yeah. out. So we're just delighted to have you on the podcast today, Brooke. Hey, welcome.
1: I am delighted. You know, before we hopped on, I was just geeking out over being here with you guys. I am such a fan of everything you're building, and I'm really excited for this conversation.
2: Wow, we are too. That goes both ways.
0: Kind of speechless. And I love that I just cut your bio off because, you know, she's also a Harvard Law School grad and all these kind of things, (laughs) fellow. But that's not what this is about because I feel like your heart and soul, like when you listen to you, like it just comes through the page. Or if you go to your site and like dive in, like your heart in this is so good, but you're really great at building systems for people too, like yeah. frameworks to to think through. And that's when we thought about this series, we wanted to really give a playbook that you keep coming back to of like what really matters. So before we get into all that, though, we got to give you a little space. This is your first time on the show. Give us your story. Like, how did you get here um, to this moment and kind of walk us yeah. through a little bit of your personal journey?
1: Absolutely. So, you know, you you captured a little bit of it in in my bio. I have always just really been committed to social justice and social change. And I actually thought I was going to be a writer. I thought I was going to be a journalist and um, tell stories of social justice and social impact. And then I discovered that I don't have the patience and (laughs) I am far too sensitive. (laughs) I'm not really good at having other people critique things. Oh my gosh, you're my people. So that wasn't going to be a good career. Um, But one of the summers when I was exploring journalism here in New York City, where I live and, and have spent most of my adulthood, there was also a policy institute starting called Center for an Urban Future that basically applied journalistic principles to policy work. To to legislative advocacy and it partnered with organizers and lawyers and journalists and sort of took the lived experiences and stories of people in communities and helped translate that into legal change and advocacy. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that! And I was like, I'm in. That's that sounds just amazing. Just the whole sort of gestalt of it. And so that was actually the summer that I decided I'm going to law school. I'm going to policy school. Um, and, you know, like you said, John, the through line has been social justice. That was really the the crux of the law that I practiced. I was a community lawyer. And so that's really about de-centering my own expertise as a lawyer in the room and centering the expertise and experiences and skills and capacities of the clients, of the people that you are advocating on behalf of, and they become partners in the advocacy process. And while I was doing that kind of law, I find that I, I kept having the same conversations with the people I was working with over and over. And that really what I was drawn to was the partnership, was the sort of empowering them to be the people going into conversations in court, going into conversations in government agencies. And that led to the founding of my organization. And then the rest is history. That's what I did for for 12 years. <laughs>
2: Okay. I am married to an attorney and I'm not going to try to throw him entirely under the bus right here, but you are the first attorney I have ever met who subscribes to the things that, the thing that we say over and over on this podcast, which is if you're looking for solutions to your problem, you go directly to the community, to the person with the lived experience who is, who is facing that problem. Mm. And I just I am just geeking out on BRB here. I'm just a big Brooke <laughs> Ritchie Babbage fan. And just to know that that changed your heart and your wiring to lead you here today is just freaking amazing. So keep going with that work. So we're gonna dive in to all of these questions that we have about how to be an impactful executive director. You've been at the top, I think you're working with organizations in all different kinds of roles and capacities. And I think we wanna ask like ourselves, what are the right questions we need to be asking regarding being an executive director so zoom us out and ask us you know what are we really trying to accomplish here and what is the big picture question that our executive directors need to be asking
1: i love that question i think it's really easy just having been there <laughs> for so many years to keep your head down and get stuck in the weeds and you can sort of look up and four years have gone by and you feel like you're spinning your wheels. And so this question about what should be guiding us just feels really powerful. It's like setting an intention. I think, I think what I have always said to the executive directors that I coach and that I work with and what I worked on when I was an ED was North star. What is my North star? Everything that we do as an executive director, as a leader, in any position that you have, should be guided by a a real deep commitment to and passion for the end goal that you are trying to achieve, right? And so those of us who do social impact work, there's a mission that we're working on behalf of. And so, you know, that's written down. It's in all of the materials, But there's some why. There's some North Star that we as individuals and as people bring to our work. There's a reason that that mission inspires you, that this particular organization is the one that you have chosen to found or to lead. And I think when you can keep your eye on that North Star, what is the change in the world that I am pushing for? What is what does the world look like when I have solved this problem that just really, really gets to me, right? When I've addressed this challenge. On those days when it feels like a slog and when your team's not quite clicking and you've had one too many frustrating conversations with a board member, being able to really ask yourself, why am I in this? What is, what's the thing here? What's my why? I have found that to be Deeply grounding and recentering, and to help sort of lift me above the fray in those moments when I need it.
0: Oh, you're so our people, mm-hmm. you know, and <laughs> I think it's so easy to fall into the trap of like they're there to hit the budget goal, you know, and yeah. it gets painful. And we're looking at so much burnout across the sector. If we can reconnect to that why, um, like that's such a powerful tool. So let's get into some habits and actions. And I know this has got to be hard for so sweet especially somebody that was a founder of a nonprofit to say, what are really, you know, give us three daily or weekly actions that would lead to the success, like answering that bigger
1: question. Absolutely. So it is hard and it isn't. I mean, one of the things that, (laughs) one of the benefits of not being an executive director right now and actually working with hundreds of executive directors is you start to see the trends, right? You start to sort of see what are the things. And the three that I would point to, one, I think setting a daily intention, right? Being clear about your focus for the day. I cannot tell you how many times I have sat down at the beginning of the day and I have my 20 item task list and my brain shuts off because yep, there are 20 things, right? And, you know, how do I know which of those 20 things? Um, I I talk all the time about the tyranny of the urgent, right? It's just, there's so many things, So I have found, and this was really, really critical when I was in a leadership position in my organization, that committing to or identifying the one to three things, whether you call them goals or objectives or intentions, this is what will make me feel like I've had a productive day at 10 o'clock tonight when I shut off my computer, right? And getting really clear about what those are. I think the second thing is staying clear about key metrics and how you're defining success. And I think we can talk about metrics in the like, in the, you know, number crunchy way, which I am a huge, I love that. (laughs) but I more mean, what are my personal metrics of success for this organization, for me as a leader, for my team? And when I was running my organization, I would actually write those down I love Post-its. I love all (laughs) sizes of (laughs) Post-its. And so I'd get those like big, you know, like the big ones, 11 by 17 Post-its. And I'd write down, this is what success looks like. And in any given six-month period, it might be really amazing connection with my new board members or my team is just clicking, right? Whatever that is, I'd write it down. And every day, it's right there in front of me, grounding me and keeping me sort of centered. And then the third thing at the end of the day, what's a win? It's really easy as executive directors to, as people, quite frankly, to focus on all the things we're not getting done, all the little failures, all the little balls that were dropped. I think most of our time is spent on that, unfortunately. And what I try to do with the EDs that I work with and what I tried to build a capacity around when I was running my organization was at least once a day, I was usually not great at this, but I would try once a day. (laughs) What's one thing that actually I did? It could be a really amazing conversation with a team member that was struggling or that email that I finally had sent on. There's something good. There's something that you did. Um, and taking a moment to note that for yourself can be really rejuvenating,
2: oh. Not only is it rejuvenating it it's so applicable in any role. I think what yeah. you just said there yeah. and and we keep hearing this on this series uh, in terms of how to be impactful, and the words I keep hearing is intention and mm. focus. And I think we're just so used to living in the spin cycle, the hamster wheel oh gosh, in nonprofit. Yeah. And we're just running all the time. I'll tell you, I just did a training with the foundation down in Texas and Something that came up as we were exploring values over and over that they wanted to hear was they want to hear more wins. They want to hear more about their wins from their leader. They want more recognition. And they don't necessarily want it for themselves. They want it for their colleagues as well. And I love that one in particular, that third one that just kind of recenters us and says, even if you know the donor said no to this massive proposal, which will take all the wind out of the sails if you've made a big ask, or the board member's mad, or whatever. Whatever's happened, if you can find that silver lining in every single day, and if you can't find it, look for it in humans, because humans are showing up every single day and giving their best. Absolutely love that. So our next question is... What relationships do you prioritize as an executive director? And I am so curious to hear what you're going to say, because I will just say, (laughs) and I'm not trying to steal your thunder, but in my experience, you know, with a lot of EDs that I've worked with, the relationships that were prioritized were the biggest donor out there, Mm -hmm. the uh, board chair and the CEO of our organization. And I would love to know what you think would be the three or a couple of
1: relationships to prioritize as an ED. Fascinating because right? none of those are on even my top five. Oh, I <laughs> love oh you. I
0: love okay, keep going. <laughs> keep going. Break it up. Keep going.
1: So, so I'm going to start with the sustainable sisterhood, and I've talked about this on my podcast a bunch. But these were the most transformative relationships that I've ever had as an ED. I had this group of seven women EDs. We met fairly organically early in all of our tenures and met. We're still actually meeting every first Wednesday of the month for a breakfast. And we were a mastermind. We were accountability partners. We were all growing our organizations together. And that taught me a couple things about relationships to prioritize. One, and to this day, I prioritize relationships with people that pull me out of the weeds most of the energy that we bring to the table as an executive director it pushes us down it pushes us not down <laughs> it pushes us into the weeds to, yeah into the weeds yeah. right to focus yeah. on the nuts and bolts and the tactics and making sure that you know everything's firing on all cylinders and that's part of our role but those people that actually help me elevate even for an hour right that that are accountability partners that say but is that the goal you set for yourself have you moved forward on the thing, on the intention that you set? The mentors that said, oh, there's, there's a method to this madness that you're feeling, right? That really helped pull me out, even just for those Wednesday mornings. So that's the first thing that I learned about relationships to prioritize as an executive director. I think that's really important. I think a second are people that can help you think through problems, thought partners. Mm -hmm. And my hope for every executive director out there is that some of those thought partners are your board members. That's a great, you know, I get asked this question all the time. What are the metrics? Like, what does, you know, a good governance board look like? (laughs) I have lots of thoughts about that. But one (laughs) of the metrics is they're actual thought partners. They are people that can help you strategize and think. And so I prioritize relationships with people that bring new perspectives, that can sort of I can think through things with because as an ED that can be really lonely right you're sort of out on this proverbial limb by yourself and then the third and I think this is where a lot of EDs I don't know a lot of the people that I talk to it feels like they shouldn't focus on this last group but sources of support Right, just yes. people who are going to be a cheerleader, that are going to give me a hug, that are going to pour me my glass of prosecco, my <laughs> husband, my kids, you know, my 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 crew, um, the people who give us sustenance, and I think we live in a society, even in the nonprofit and social impact sectors. That can downplay the importance of emotional sustenance in our sustainability as leaders, and I think that does us a disservice. I think prioritizing those relationships, making time for the people that you spend time with, just because they fill you up, not because they're a strategic, you know, advantage to you, just because they're going to be the ones that help you laugh. I think those are that's really important.
0: Brooke Ritchie Babbage, oh my gosh. Here's the thing, and you just said sustainability, you kind of stole this word because I'm like from the very second, if you've listened to this habit series, we're going to end with sustainability. You, everything that you're saying is about sustainability from the start. And that just makes me well up with like excitement because right now I know there's people listening that just feel so buried in this, you know, and I hope this conversation pulls you out and gives you a North star of how you can kind of reorient, you know, and rally around this. Let's go into some do this, not that. We love this. I'm picturing that book where it's like, don't eat the burger, you know, eat the chicken. Instead. It was like <laughs> that. But what are some of the preconceived ideas? Because a lot of people think it's this. Walk us through some of those of, of what the r- right way to go about it is.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, one of the big ones that I would point to is, um, I say laundry list, but I don't want to sort of um, sound judgy. But, um, you know, we all have the list of things we have to do, say, next quarter, right? And we do our work planning or we have our strategic plan. And it's just a list of activities. And that's really overwhelming because there's no sort of weight attached to anything. Everything is of equal importance and of equal weight. And so I think, you know, one of the do not do this is work planning that is that starts with and centers around activities. I do a lot of strategic planning with folks and I guide folks through a process of like, what's your vision? What are your priorities? And without fail, maybe a third of the way through my process, I get an email from a board member or somebody on the, the planning team that's like, when are we going to start talking about what we're going to do? <laughs> like, when do we always. start talking about, like, oh, like writing activities? Uh-huh. And I get that because obviously that's where the impact comes from. But I would say the don't do this is, like, don't start with activities. Don't start your day. Going back to the intention, don't start your day with, like, yes. <laughs> the, the tasks. Start with the goal, start with the North star, start with where are we trying to go? Cause that will tell you which tasks are more and more, more or less important.
2: Oh my so gosh, John, you. you took those words right out of Did John's mouth. Like, I, right, I have you to pledge you, I'm holding my
0: heart. I'm like,
2: yeah, this <laughs> is, this is a, a hill that John will go to die on and I'm he sorry. is a hundred percent correct that the tactics are going to bury no. you, but the strategy yes. and the goals, they are going to center you in the work. That's thank right. you so much for that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I always say that specificity and clarity give rise to intentionality and sustainability comes from intentionality.
2: Okay, Brooke, now that we have hit the ground running with goals and strategy, I really want you to get in to some of those tactical things like KPIs. What are the KPIs and those success indicators that matter? And what are the
1: ones that just don't matter? I love that question. For the same reason that I loved the do this, not that question. So first, I'll say it depends. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> likes the answer, right? It depends on, on your goal and your North Star. But I think there are some KPIs that people often focus on that I think can be a distraction. And I will very rarely tell people they're doing something wrong, but sometimes what we focus on is a distraction. It is not serving us. So the ones that I would highlight are, um, you know, dollars raised, right? Whenever I work with organizations, one of the KPIs that they that they track is how much money did we raise this month, this quarter? So obviously you want to know what your revenue is. But <laughs> what I would say is that dollars raised, just as an example, don't matter outside of a broader context, Right, so if you raise one hundred thousand dollars, but it costs you one hundred and ten thousand dollars to raise that one hundred thousand dollars, then that KPI is meaningless, right? It doesn't actually tell you where yes. you are financially. So, I think KPIs like what is your fundraising efficiency, and there is some really great metrics and sort of ratios that EDs can, even ones who are nervous about money um, and finances, can can think through and use. What is your return on investment on fundraising dollars spent? And I think that's a really important one. So how much did you have to spend to raise each dollar that you brought in? That actually, that KPI gives you far more insight into how your dollars are being used efficiently and effectively. I also would think if we're, you know, just staying in the fundraising zone, a lot of people look just at new donors, That's, again, maybe that matters, but are you looking at new donors within the sort of profiles that are going to actually be the best givers for your organization, Mm -hmm. right? So you can have a lot of transactional donors, people who give because you have a campaign and they sort of send you $50 and that's great. That's $50. But are these donors with a deep affinity for your work? Are they people, you know, are they your people? Are they in your community? Are they going to become long-term donors? Um, Another one that I would highlight is how many ambassadors do you have for your organization? How many people do you have out there shouting from the rooftops about your organization, asking on your behalf, spreading the gospel about your organization? How many deepened relationships have you formed? And what are the metrics that you will use to demonstrate or illustrate a deepened relationship. And that can be with your own team. That can be with folks on your board. That can be with advisors and mentors. So I think really the KPIs you want to track are the ones that give you clear insight into the strength of your organization, not just the dollars in, etc. Holy
0: smokes.
2: I just did the mic drop. Nobody <laughs> can see it because nobody's on YouTube. <laughs> thing on streaming platforms, but that was a mic drop moment.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and just like the understanding what the numbers mean is so, yeah. is so important because Telling especially the story
2: our, of those numbers. Yes. yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cause I think there's going to be board members that come in that don't understand that context and it's understandable. They're going to focus on the top number real, without realizing maybe it's draining the entire staff for months to be able to raise those dollars. So. Really, really awesome way to apply that. And what you call ambassadors, we call them rabid fans on this podcast. Mm -hmm. And I love that you brought them up because there's really a quality there of just understanding. This is where I love data, but we love our gut at the same time we talk about Mm -hmm. this, but are more of those coming into your organization? Like that's a gut check moment to say, are we growing that? Or are people not wanting to rep us on the street? Because that's a reputation thing we need to unwind, right?
1: You guys did a podcast episode. I I don't know when you recorded it, but I listened to it this summer. (laughs) It was part of your series about how you've grown We Are For Good, sort of what your lessons learned were. And it was – talk about mic drop. (laughs) It was so incredible for me. I I actually shared it with everyone in my accelerator programs. I was like, you have to listen to the series. It's like a little mini course. And one of the things you guys talked about is – that everything we are doing as fundraisers as leaders of organizations it's all community yeah right? that you we will achieve our impact we will raise the money we will activate the board all of the things that we think we are focusing on are actually about are we building a community of people who have a deep passion for this mission that we are all committed to working on behalf of. Mm -hmm. And if your community is growing, you will see the fruits of that. You will see more revenue. You will see better partnerships. You will see board members that are engaged. And so this question about KPIs that do and don't matter, I'm a big fan of KPIs. I think you absolutely want to focus (laughs) in on what you're tracking. But Tracking the things that actually give you insight into, are you building this community of rabid fans, right? Of people Mm. who are out in the world fighting for this mission right alongside you. Thank
2: Thank you you for for saying that. That That was a really nice compliment. (laughs) And and I'll also say how you're defining community is incredibly important because- Like we say so many times, community isn't just showing up with wealth. They're showing up in so many different ways. And if you can create a community and a space of belonging where people feel safe and seen and valued, they're going to bring all kinds of assets to the table that are beyond the financial donation that they can make. And they will bring Mm -hmm. some of those, but they're going to bring a whole lot more. And guess what? When they feel safe to do it, they're going to bring their friends. And that is how the trickle effect works. So thank you so much for saying that and lifting that back up.
0: Okay. So we see this incredible career you've had and clearly you came out like swinging too. I mean, no you know, kidding. like, it's just like, force
2: for good. you've
0: done this in such a sustainable way that you're now you know bringing others alongside you, which is what's so inspirational about your story. Let's talk about sustainability for a second. Yeah. Like, how do you take care of yourself as an executive director What's we're going to call this like our mental health minute at the end. How do you take I care of it. yourself and check in on yourself?
1: So I am going to be fully transparent here and share that I am better at it now than I was for many of the years that I was an executive director. I think that a lot of those years were hard. I, I loved my organization. I was a founder. I loved my mission. I loved my team. I was very blessed to have a team and a board that I loved and I absolutely did not center my mental health, my sustainability. I think part of that was, you know, 10 years ago, just in our sector, conversations about sustainability were far less frequent. I think that part of it was that as I was coming up, you know, 25 years ago, the way people talked about leadership and what it meant to be a leader meant... You never show what people called weakness. You never showed exhaustion. You, you know, were the first awake and the last to go to sleep, you know, all the things, right? And I was very much a student of that school of leadership and unfortunately was good at it. And I say unfortunately because it's not right. It's not good. It's not healthy. And what I learned, in all honesty, through my sisterhood and what they supported me and we all supported one another in doing over the tenure of my time running my organization was that nothing about our mission matters. Nothing about the strategies and the tactics matter if I burn out, right? If I can't read an email or focus on a thought, or if I snap every time I talk to my board members, if I'm resentful of the major donor that wants to have, you know, another coffee, right? All of that's the wrong narrative. I'm not bringing joy into those engagements, into those conversations, So all of it's for naught. And I think once I started to understand that sustainability and mental health in particular are not a nice to have, they're not like the thing you think about when you've nailed all the other things in your organization, that everything strategic and tactical grows out of me putting my mask on first. Once I started to understand that, I think I got better. There were three practices that became really central for me. One is a morning meditation. I am a... I shouldn't say lifelong because I didn't do this as a child, but for the last two decades have been, have tried to be a pretty consistent meditator. And I find that that centers me um, and gives me sort of energy for the day. I would say a quiet week for my office and for my work. So the first week of every quarter is a quiet week. It's not a vacation week, although I do believe very firmly in vacations. <laughs> but it is a week where we don't do external meetings, we don't do external work. People can work on whatever they need to catch up on. It's a time if they have passion projects, just something they want to explore in our organization or in in our sector. It's a week for them to spend living into the mission in the way that they want and perhaps gets crowded out. So we do that every quarter to this day, even in running my business, I have a quiet week. It's coming up next week, (laughs) first week in October. And, um, related to that, sometimes, um, we would do this at different times, but the last week of every August, for example, um, sometimes, some organizations do two weeks. There are, um, blackout weeks. So not quite weeks, the next step, which is a vacation. Everybody gets a week off, you know, or two weeks off, depending on how hard we'd worked that year. Because one thing I realized is nobody actually takes vacation when they're supposed to. So those were things that I tried to create structures that would actually support quiet, stillness, breathing, a chance to reflect, You know, our brilliance happens in the moments when our brain is not in panic mode, and I don't think we often think about how how much time we spend in what our bodies feel as panic mode. So those are the things that I those are the habits I've tried to develop.
2: Brooke Richie Babbage, will you accept my friendship bracelet that I've (laughs) homemade for you because you are such an incredible human? Thank you for speaking to the nonprofit leader just. As a human being, I mean, I really just look back at the last two and a half years and I look at the sector and our leaders in particular, and they just, it feels like Atlas, like they have the weight of the world on their shoulders. They're carrying their baggage. They're carrying the staff's baggage. They're trying to pivot. They're trying to figure out their life and what does it all mean in this brave new world? And I just appreciate so deeply that you would hold court for just the space to breathe and to think, because I can tell you, and with We Are For Good, my best ideas for this company have come when I've been able to take a breath and when I can clear my head And we live in the fog of chaos (laughs) all the time because there's a million shiny things that are before us all the time and you want to help everyone, but you're right. If you cannot help yourself then you cannot be the light that sort of shepherds and creates this trailblazing moment for your people. So thank you so much. Absolutely love that. Okay. You've got our friendship bracelet. (laughs) We've offered you this rose on the podcast, all the things tell people how they can connect with you. How can they connect with your incredible organization? Um, we definitely want them to go and listen to the nonprofit mastermind podcast, which clearly you're going to get more wisdom bombs dropped on you just like this. Tell a happy that accelerator, can with you online. all of it. Yeah. Yes, all of it.
1: So there's the podcast. I also have a weekly strategy and leadership newsletter called Leadership Forward 321. And folks can sign up for that at richiebabbage.com backslash leadership forward three two one. And we'll drop it in
2: the show notes too if you want to yep. one click to get there. Oh,
1: wonderful. Yeah. And so every week I pick a leadership team like leadership theme like we've been talking about, and I share three resources, two articles and a quote on that theme. Amazing. Just sort of pulling people out of the fray. And then the last thing that I'll highlight is my Next Level Nonprofit Accelerator. It's a six-month individual coaching and group coaching and training program. It's for leaders of six-figure nonprofits that are ready to grow, and they want to build their team, their board, their impact, and their leadership, as we've talked about today. Mm -hmm. But they want to do it in a way that gets rid of the guesswork. And most importantly, that constant threat of burnout. So Always inside sucks. the accelerator, we talk a lot about and actually build the kinds of structures we've talked about here. How do you lift above the fray? How do you practice leadership in a sustainable way? All of those things. And folks can sign up or learn more and apply at richiebabbage.com backslash next level nonprofit.
0: Oh, my gosh. I kind of want to switch to a 501c3 so we can go get in that accelerator.
2: (laughs) I'm like, if you want to understand the sisterhood, come check it out. If this has resonated with you, please go check it out. We want more people to find harmony in community, find yourselves, find your passion again. Joy.
1: Yeah. Yes. Mm. Let's
2: go find our joy again and let's pour back into it when we have that space of peace. Brooke, you are well worth the wait. Please come back and talk to us more.
1: (laughs) I have to say you guys are just, you're a real inspiration to me. I really, really love the community that you're building. I love your podcast talking to you both today is exactly what i dreamed of. Oh, <laughs> i'm such God. a fan girl. Oh, thank gosh. you for having me. this has been wonderful. total such reciprocity. An honor. yeah, right thank you, you so much. Thank full you, hearts. My friend.